Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Pete Sampson with Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley. Some off-season news to get to. We've got questions for our readers and some recruiting developments, as there always are every time of year, not just this time of year. But I think before we get started, uh, we're about a week removed from the death of Greg Bryant shot when he was uh, home in southern Florida. Um, was about to return to UAB for sort of his summer session there. Had been a spring semester student there, uh, training with the football team. And, uh, I, I guess I was struck by the, I guess, outpouring of emotion for uh, a player who was here two years. Um, didn't really play a whole lot of football, but certainly seemed to make a, an impact on a lot of people, teammates, of course, but, but also people around the program that, uh, maybe weren't with him on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I mean, it's a, you know, I mean, he was kind of a paradox in, in a lot of respects. I mean, a kid with a, with a ton of talent, I mean, as talented as a yeah. as a player in the entire program, and and uh, I mean, obviously, but you know, in a situation like this, you put football aside, and I mean, his life was cut short prematurely, and uh, you know, we we all wrote about it a little bit. Pete, you were in contact at at various points with his father, mm-hmm. and I mean, he was very concerned about his son uh, uh, running with the wrong crowd and, and putting himself in some difficult situations, and and we don't. I mean, ultimately, or at least at this point, we don't know um, exactly why he's no longer with us, the reasons behind it. Um, but it's just really unfortunate because here was a kid that, had he maximized his ability, he was going to be playing football for for a long time, and 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 couldn't do that. And I think it was just you know it was unfortunate he had a great opportunity at Notre Dame. And couldn't keep it together and follow through with it. And he was very likable too. I mean, yeah. obviously, if, you know, ended up having to go home because of grades. He, it seemed when you talked to him that maybe he had gotten it together a little bit after a mm-hmm. rough time his freshman year. But it's challenging for people. It's challenging for guys that aren't used to that academic environment. Obviously, he wasn't. And I mean, we ever we only talked to him a few times officially, and he was just a likable guy. You know, one one was. As a freshman, he wasn't going to play that much, but he knew he had talent. We talked to him, and that was kind of fun because he was kind of brash. And then the sophomore year, he was a little bit humbled, but not on the field humbled. It was it was like the perfect mix. And you, I think it's it's really a shame he wasn't there. He he wasn't couldn't have stayed at Notre Dame, obviously. Yeah, it's, I mean it was tough for him to make it here academically. Yeah. Uh, needed, a, needed a lot of help along the way, and I think that was part of the investment of him coming here in the first place. Is Notre Dame promising that hey, you know, we're going to make sure you can get through this, but. It required a lot of work on his part. It required a lot of work on Notre Dame's yeah. part. It was kind of unfortunate when Tony Alford leaves for Ohio State. Autry Dents, there's a little bit of a gap there because I think that uh, Greg was was somebody that really benefited from having a mentor being omnipresent in his life, and you know that wasn't there for but him. That, but. I mean, that right there shows you how precarious. Yeah, yeah, it, is, it, oh, yeah. it was for him because there's just there's a gap yeah. between coaches, and Tony Alford was great for him, mm-hmm. and I have no doubt that that Autry Denson was great for him as well, but. You know, I mean, when you think, I often, in situations like this, I often think back to when I was that age and what a, I mean, me personally, what a scatterbrain idiot I was. And I didn't know, you know, I didn't know 
what I needed to do. I wasn't always as disciplined as, as I needed to be. And, you know, that gap between assistant coaches, unfortunately, was very, very important to a guy that needed that guidance every step of the way. Yeah. Well, no great segue into some uh, team news and scheduling news here, but uh, Tyler Luatua now returning to Notre Dame. Our Anna Hickey first reported that last week. Uh, and then Notre Dame also had announced the home kickoff times for the 2016 schedule, formalized the 2017 schedule, which I think the really only question mark from my understanding was when the USC game was going to fall in October. Uh, ultimately, they put that at a date where Notre Dame will have a bye week before USC. But, um, you know, it's I guess Lua Tua, it's, I guess it's the offseason, so things sort of get blown up uh, bigger than they actually are. This is a reserve <laughs> tight end who's not really in a position to start for Notre Dame or threaten to start for Notre Dame. Um, but there is a role he can play that, that could have some value. Yeah, I, I think there, there's definitely a role, but as they're, they're trying to get away from... They're trying to get away from when we have a tight end in the game, you know what we're going to do, which is yeah. what they were stuck with last year. It's good to have a second tight end in the game. and In obvious running situations, there's plenty of obvious running situations in football games, and if Luatua can be much better than he was last year, he'll be very valuable in that role. If he can't be much better than last year, I think they'll be spreading it out more in obvious running situations because that's what teams' modern spread offenses do nowadays is if it's an obvious run, we spread you wide and we can just hit that right. small gap. I think in some respects he was more consistent as a sophomore than he was as a freshman, I think he has to be in tremendous con- condition. Yeah. He has to do that. We've talked about, um, you know, the concussion issues that that he's dealt mm-hmm. with in the past. But yeah, I, you know, I do. I, I don't think we're going to overblow this situation. I had a story on it late last week. I mean, one, he adds two years of eligibility to the position, and secondly, I think it helps bridge a gap in the recruiting when when you had the early verbal commitments of Brock Wright and Cole Komet. They just decided not to sign a tight end, correct? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so it maybe helps bridge that gap and, and allows you to preserve a year of eligibility, probably with Komet more so than Wright, because Wright's physically, probably going to be physically prepared to contribute when he comes in, whereas Cole Komet probably won't be. But, uh, you know, another blocker, I don't think it impacts Matuska. There's no sense in moving him back to. No. To defensive end, he's not well, going to contribute there. It's a, it's a position, it's the defensive line of offense in terms of injuries. A tight end is yeah. going to go down for a long stretch, if not the season. It's it's going to be somebody. Um, we don't know who it's going to be. It was Smythe last year. It happened to Rudolph. It happened to Eifert. Um, it's just a very volatile position, a very violent position to play. Uh, so you have to have, you have to assume you need three who are going to play. Not not backups, guys who can play. So maybe that's where Luatua comes in if if Smythe is hurt or if Wisher didn't put on enough weight where he can hold the point of attack um, that Luatua can, can help you there. I do. It makes, in some ways, I think it makes um, Matusko, Jacob Matusko a little bit of a redundant. But one of those yeah. guys might get hurt and yeah. you need the other well, one there. So And what it gives you, I mean, Luatua's been on kickoff return. He was on kickoff return when C.J. Sanders was scoring touchdowns. So if mm-hmm. that doesn't hurt, you have, that's where your tight ends and, go. You know? Tight ends and linebackers look good on kickoff yeah, coverage yeah. and kickoff return. Yeah. Look, at the very least, as much as Notre Dame struggle in the red zone, it's another big body sure. blocker and hopefully he comes back with a little bit you know, added motivation, and better, you, better physical condition. You touched on it. It's not a negative in the locker room. He's so unassuming. Yeah, Other than yeah. he's going to take some ribbing for it. was a great tweet by Derek Grace. Mm. Inventive way to get out of spring football. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, <laughs> but I mean, other than that, and you can imagine not. if you're Jacob Matuska, it's like, yeah, well, yeah. my window of opportunity just yeah. 
closed or, or maybe not. I mean, shut maybe more he's, tight. Yeah. we don't know. He could be. I, I thought it, he looked fine. It, <laughs> you know, was, there was, <laughs> it was suggested that you know these the two tight ends yeah. with Matuska <laughs> and Luatua. I, I wouldn't expect that a whole bunch. Brian Kelly's not. Maybe at that, the goal line. At the goal line would yeah, be the only. Inside it. the five would be the only. Uh, I don't even want that at the goal. Only line. opportunity. <laughs> it does. And we had a question that we're going to bump up into segment one here. Um, and it just from Statman, just about does it make it even more likely that Alizé Jones plays at wideout? I would think probably yes. I don't think it makes it a lot more likely, but That's another it helps. Body it's just yeah. another body because I think if, if Smythe and Wisher are healthy, then Alizé yeah. Jones can stick out, stick out wide. Yeah, I, I think Alizé Jones at W is more contingent upon Corey Robinson's decision, the development of uh, Equinemius St. Brown, the development of Miles Boykin. He's going to play wide out. Alizé Jones is because he gives them, yeah, you know, a, a real nice mismatch out there at times. I just hope he plays. This is a conversation for June or July or August, but I really hope he plays detached tight end a lot too, because it's harder to guard Alizé Jones. When he has the whole field, and, and as every Nickelback tells you, it when he has a two-way go, than it is when you put him over on the boundary. It's a W yeah. wide receiver because it even Brian to... Kelly says the W wide receiver we can stick him over there and he can get double teamed and take him out of a game. That's why he wanted to move Michael Floyd around yeah. as opposed to standing. It plays there. to his strengths. Yeah, it's, 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 it's probably. And... I mean, just all things considered, it's probably his best position. It's a better position. He's a a big body out there that's athletic. That's going against a guy that's five nine, five ten. Yeah, not uh, not easy matchup. Scheduling uh, the double night game again. Yes, uh, for next year. Really? That was your reaction. <laughs> yes, yes. That was the thank God. Uh, we <laughs> love night <laughs> games. Uh, the Shamrock series will at least be a day game, um, which is that was my reaction. That, that. That's, that's that is properly billed as a three thirty kickoff against Army in San Antonio. But uh, night games against Michigan State and Stanford. I guess the weather will be nice for both of them, probably. Um, but man, those are. Uh, I'm curious. Stanford like, brings if, rain annually. If you're, I don't know what it is. if you're listening to this podcast, I want you to tweet at us and like, do you like the home night games or not? Because I don't really get a sense from Notre Dame fans whether they like them or not. I know the media loathes them. Uh, the cleanup crew outside yeah. loathes them because those extra four hours of consumption turns that place into everybody oh, that junkyard. It's awful. Yeah. Everybody yeah. that has a work-related responsibility <laughs> yeah. with yeah. Notre Dame football hates the night games. I yeah. mean, literally everybody <laughs> right on <laughs> down the to top the, down. Yeah, Brian I mean, Kelly down. Yeah, yeah, Brian, yeah Brian, I mean, what does Brian Kelly have to? It doesn't matter what Brian Kelly thinks <laughs> no. about that, and it no. is a trade-off, right? Yeah. An extra home game at night. And then the Shamrock Series game is a is a three thirty. Yeah. It's just a, a flip of. No, I mean, last year there was the night Shamrock Series game, and there were two home night games. Okay, this so better you're saying there's better. an. Yeah. Okay, I, I think this is like, hey, uh, this is NBC. Uh, we'd like to make a little bit more money off these games. Um, okay, sounds good. Okay, yeah. thanks. We're going to do two night games. You know, I think it's. I mean, I think I wrote about this late last week that the night games under Brian Kelly. 35 of the 78 at this point, that's 44.8%. So weird. You know, Weiss was anymore, 25%. But... Tyrone Willingham was 22%. Davey, you know, there's a correlation between how good they are. Sure. But we've, we've also seen a change, uh, you know, since Brian Kelly got here in terms of percent. Even Lou Holtz only played 20% at, at night. And actually, there's a chance there will be fewer this year. You've got the two home night games. Mm-hmm. You've got Texas. 
I mean, are they going to put Syracuse at night? Are they going to put NC State Maybe. on the road they at put, night? They Maybe put, Syracuse. They put Syracuse at night last time we were right. there. Right. I left um, my phone there. That was but NC uh, State. Stanford will Stanford technically will be at night. Yeah. Uh, or I'm sorry, USC will technically USC. be at night at uh, even if it's a five thirty. Oh, that's and they're not going to be bad. So it's not going to be twelve thirty. They don't consider yeah. that though because it's a, I mean it's sunshine. No. But it won't but be a 12 o'clock up. game like it was for the uh, 2014 November. Well, certainly problems. not if there's yeah. something at stake at right, that point. Right. There, that's always yeah. a chance for being a This is all time. payback for the 11 a.m. kickoff that we have in Jacksonville. <laughs> yeah, <they're, laughs> well, that's too, but that's too early. Yeah. I think it's probably early because I can hop on and play with Matt Kishore and be home in time to well, watch Alabama fair. LSU I'm not at my house. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but if it's that 11.30 nice. kickoff, we're leaving for the stadium at 7.30, yeah. right? I mean, about then. Just because it's like of the bowl game. It's like the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we were up. The, we were, we left in the butt team. Bus. It was dark. We were on the bus. It was dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, twenty degrees. We all have right. it so tough. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, uh, we'll let you ponder <laughs> our travails as sports writers on this break between segment one and segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider, where we've got a bunch of questions from our readers and also from some Twitter followers as well. We're not even print guys that have deadlines, and we're still no. complaining about this yeah. right now. So. It's late, man. It's, it's late. All right, segment two coming up. (laughs) Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider is our burning up the board segment, and we start with SF Castillo, who asks, I never understood the move of John Montalas to the defensive line. He's four-string. It seems like he could compete easily for second-string right guard. Your thoughts? I agree. Um, I, I think he's completely right on the, the depth chart aspect of there, where he's a second-team guard and probably a fourth-team nose tackle. Um, At best. You know, it's like they... I, I'm not sure if it's a commentary on the other nose tackles they have or they just feel like John Montalus isn't going to be a factor at all on the offensive line. I, I really don't know. Um, it's kind of... You know, there are, I think there are position moves to get a guy in the field and there are position moves just to sort of do something, uh, and this kind of feels like a do something or get him out of the way. No, I think yeah. it's to get. That's why I think it's to get him out of the way. I think yeah. it's the freshman coming in. You're gonna, they're the future guard. I mean, especially you know, even if Eichenberg and Kramer both become tackles, one of them could be a guard this year and challenge for a two deep yeah. role immediately. And that is starting him with the varsity, getting him out there. He's playing, stays with the varsity, travels. I mean, they don't see John Montalas as a future starter, so why have him be a... a he's, well, is that, yeah. It's not like he's a trusted backup. Yeah, he's just if a backup. you know by now that it's not happening, then... And I, you know, we, we don't... We've never... You know, when when a player... When a situation happens like this with a player, a highly touted player, mm-hmm. that doesn't even come close to, to cracking the depth chart, a lot of times we don't get answers as to, okay, what exactly is wrong? Is it that he's not in great enough shape? Is it that he doesn't understand the offense? Is it that he... He can't master the yeah. technique. I mean, it's probably some type of combination yeah. of all those things. He had bad, he had bad shoulders yeah, come like, out of high school. Okay, there's um, another was gained really, a lot of weight. Really overweight. Yeah. And then, I mean, he was a guy that you would see drop 20 pounds in consecutive off-seasons. Um, so I think the, the shoulder really just put him probably two years behind. And while that's happening, McGovern, Bivin, those guys are improving Bar shows up. Nelson shows up. I mean, three incoming guys that they like. Just, they're, gonna, they're gonna get him involved. Yeah, it's, better talent yeah. came up that was healthy and available and ready to go, uh, and he just never. The answer that. to the question is that he's just not a factor. So it doesn't at guard. Yes, yeah. yes. It does, yeah. I mean, yeah. he's not a factor on defense either. He's right. just 
he at least at Notre Dame, he's shown that he's, he's a not a squad legitimate guy. Yeah, he's not a squad not a player. ND Squid twenty three. What is this team's floor between the relatively weak schedule, Notre Dame's strength at the most important position being quarterback? I think anything less than eight wins has to be considered a huge disappointment. What are your thoughts? I think eight wins is the perfect number to put out there for a floor if they were to lose. They're not a seven and five regular no. season team. Um, eight would be extremely disappointing. I think because you have four. I can never say this in May, but you have four games you should not be close in the fourth quarter. And I hate to throw this team in there because they do it all the time, but. Army, Syracuse, Nevada should not be close in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Navy should not be because they're turning over. I'm going yeah. yeah, to look, look really dumb when it's uh, Navy has <laughs> 27-20 going to the fourth quarter. I thought you were going to say they played Purdue, and I didn't know about it. Yeah, but, um, Navy has one starter returning on offense. Right. I, they, it should not be close this yeah. year. So there's four games that should not be close. I, let's give them some respect and think it might be because things happen. BC probably should have been close last year, but that wasn't. Nope. So four games shouldn't be close. There's four that, you know, t- total peer or you can see either team winning this game, and I'm going to include Miami just because I think they're going to be better this year under Mark Richt. I think Notre Dame's better, but Stanford, Michigan State, USC, and Miami, it's not. Those aren't going to be big spreads, no matter what you think. That those it, are the Tier 1 games. Those are the Tier 1 games, and then you really can't lose more than one of the... I know at NC State is tricky. I know Duke yeah, is a game that's going to be... The, the stadium's going to be... Yeah, it's gonna be awful for that game yeah. after Michigan State's night. Their game. road schedule's forgiving though. If it NC is. State is. is your most difficult true oh, road yeah. game, so that's why it better not be eight. So if you're <laughs> right. setting it, if you're setting <laughs> you an over underline on wins, it's eight and a half, right? I mean, yeah, you can't. You got to do it at a half because right, you don't want right. to tie. So is it eight and a half? I mean, I, I would say I, I think it's nine. Because yeah. not to me, nine would be an average season. And you're allowing for pushes for yeah, that's, Vegas friends. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, I agree it's, that it's if I disapp- were picking now, I would say nine and three. Is that what you Yeah, that's why would I'd, say. that's yeah. why I'd set the line at nine so it didn't pay out at nine. Okay. I you know, you. it's like you have to win ten or or you have, right. would have to only win eight. Well, and like you said, Tim. I mean, they won ten last year. When you look at this team, yes. it's got you got. How could you're going to project ten again after everything they lost? And they could easily win ten because they played better teams sure. last year. But they're right. also better talent. They had better talent last year. Well, and they also don't. I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. I mean, you had the first year with your ACC agreement. You had Florida State at yeah. Florida State. The second year, you had at Clemson. <laughs> you're not saying NC State. What do you have? Yeah, no, I mean, this year it's NC <laughs> yeah. State. Yeah. So you, it's, you yeah, it's, it's USC it is your hardest. It's their hardest game from Las Vegas standards. Oh, they're, they're underdogs by six points or whatever right now at USC. That's Which is crazy. crazy but they were also like uh, the 14 team was two. The uh, the 12 team at this point was something like, a well, USC was number one in 2012. Mm-hmm. But their name was like a 13-point underdog going to that. It changes quite a bit by the end of the year, of course. <laughs> weird. But yeah, I can't believe Sports. it. Yeah, it's a strange. The USC is technically their hardest game because it's a road game against a good team. But I mean, really, it probably... Their hardest game is probably going to be Michigan State or Stanford, right? They only play three true road games. Yeah. That's happened a couple times, actually. But that's crazy. That's what the Shamrock Series does help that's, out. I mean, you can't you... get a more favorable schedule no, than that. So that's goes real yeah. Three true road games. Yeah, Syracuse, I guess the draw to go to Carrier Dome is going to bring them to the neutral side of the Meadowlands all the yeah. time. So. Yeah. All right, so we got a bunch of uh, Twitter questions. So first up, we're going to go with Zach Williams. He wants to know, Keith Gilmore was billed as a tactician coming in. Does that really jive with what you're seeing? Uh, just talk about the improvements you've seen on defensive line more on yeah, a micro level. I, I think so. I mean, I, I you know a, a lot of a, a lot of our determinations and our uh, opinions obviously are formed by the conversations that we have with players right. and then certainly the coach himself. And I, mean, I don't think there's any doubt that the players love and respect them. I mean, he's kind of a big uh, you know teddy like bear a, kind of guy yeah, that they like they a, like. It. 
a grandpa type. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. And I, it, it, have they improved with their hands and their fundamentals? I don't think there's any doubt about that. Not to say that Mike Elston wasn't doing a good job. Um, some people would say that he wasn't. Uh, but Keith Gilmore is an accomplished defensive line coach. I don't know that it's shown up statistically, and you know, yeah, that's the sack thing. wise. Can, yeah, it's it's hard to say because I mean, you could like okay, Sheldon Day had a great senior season that was that was inevitable, but Romeo Aquara wasn't right. Um, right. But th- this year, to me, is a much more interesting test of how good yeah, Keith yeah, Gilmore yeah. is as a, a technical teacher of the position because they they lost so much and don't have that. You know, uh, is, is he responsible for for Jay Hayes coming out of the spring as a starter or and or near starter? Is he yeah. responsible for that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that you. But that's to, only a positive. If Jay Hayes is a starter or near starter coming out of November. True, it's coming out of the spring. Right, it's, it's the hey, spring. Yeah, like and it's a, and a quality. <laughs> that's what yeah. I mean. You you can't just. It's you. You had a great point about just don't, the statistics aren't always going to bear it out. Because Notre Dame's best defensive line coach by statistics is going to be for the next 50 years, Mike Elson in 2012. Because they had a yeah. dominant defensive line full of pros, yeah. and he coached them up well. So they're you get good, good players. Yeah, he, he did good. a good job. They did but a great the, job. I, is Keith Gilmore a good coach? Yeah, I yes. think he is. I think he's I one of the better coaches on the staff. Would you yeah. agree, Pete? I would. I would. All right, next up, Nick Vale wants to know, name one veteran who hasn't played or barely played who you think might really step up and have a big fall this season. Well, you just wrote about him, right? Yeah. One of them, Bivin. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he'll have a big fall because I, I, I think he will hold off. I think he's going to hold on the starting job. You and I have talked about this. Does Kramer come in and allow them to go to the future? I think Bivin is a senior going through spring. I think Harry Heastand is going to give him every chance to hang on to that, and you'll probably know by the end of the Michigan State game if, yep, this is the five that they're yeah. staying with. Because remember, they made that change. I mean, as part of it was Nick Martin broke his hand, but that wasn't mm-hmm. the only thing when they moved hand ready out. You don't see a lot of lines in flux, but Notre Dame has done it before. It, it helped them in the end that they that they switched the lineup uh, in 2014. I think Bivin hangs on. I totally see your point about yeah. Well, and when I say Kramer at guard, yeah. I mean that's kind of an NFL move where you you know guys get Best, drafted yeah. as a tackle, but they play them at guard yeah. first to right. kind of get indoctrinated into it. So I have no idea whether they do that with Kramer or not. And Bivin should hold them off. Yeah, you would. You hope that he holds them off. I would think they would hope that he would hold yeah. them right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'll, I'll go Jay Hayes. We just mentioned yeah. him in the previous question. He's barely played. Didn't uh, play last year at all. Yeah, I don't know if he qualifies as a veteran going into his third year, but he's he's somebody that we've been talking about for a, a long time. <laughs> he's, the, he's the number one candidate that's a junior that's going to be called. He's still a freshman in a press conference this yeah. year, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I young, love that. Young Jay Hayes. <laughs> young Jay Hayes. Uh, I mean, Grim Martini is obviously a guy that, that's a when, he's, when he's played, yeah, he's, been productive. He, you, he's very, very yeah. visible. It's usually against an option-based team. But, I mean, that's a guy that you I think I could really see as – not only emerging as a guy that's playing more, but emerging as, as somewhat of a, a leader of of the defense. I don't know if his personality yeah, fit. No, I mean just from no. from a leader by example. I agree. I agree. I, I don't know. Does Niles Morgan even qualify anymore for this question? Is <laughs> he aged out of it? Corey uh, Holmes. I mean, yeah, he's a Corey. junior. Yeah. Not that he's a veteran, but a guy. Yeah, like that, Hayes. There's another guy that's a junior that's got. I think three by the time a guy's and, a, yeah, yeah, by the time a guy's a junior, it's like okay. I wish learning football players were as projected. <laughs> You know that weren't uh, productive as freshmen and sophomores, were as productive as juniors as Mike Bray's juniors tend to be. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. so many times yeah. when a guy becomes a junior, Martin Gebbin, boy, do they really need him? Uh, 
You know, they I can't believe Mark Gavin made this podcast. Yeah, they just, yeah. They, just yell out all the buzzwords right now. Bob Yacker. Uh, so we'll see. But I mean, those are some guys. Corey Holmes is another junior. Max Redfield. Got every name in. Dan Bryan wants to know which player who missed spring practice will have the hardest time being ready to go by fall. Coney. I think there's two guys, one on each side of the ball. I think Coney, because it was a bad, oh. supposedly a very bad oh, well, shoulder can. injury, and major, he would have been a major yeah. surgery. I'd right. say Watkins, you know, we talked oh, about yeah, that breaking a leg and how that's gonna li- going arm, to limit, arm, yeah. I mean, arm, yeah. and, and how that's going to, why did I say leg? How that's going to <laughs> limit his off-season conditioning. Yeah. I mean, we're talk- and we're talking about humorous, we're talking about, anyway. yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a, that is a huge broken bone to have in the upper body and that well I and I just maybe it's just because of how lame he looks seeing him in the spring, but CJ Sanders, I mean, looked yeah. just completely yeah. debilitated. Yeah, that's I'd be quite curious Brian Kelly was optimistic, but he's always optimistic. Yeah. Um so yeah, if Sanders can't go and then you're with that depth chart that you have for the spring game, where it's really Stefferson is a borderline starter. Stefferson um, and Holmes are your guys. Then there, the difficult, difficult situation. All right, uh, next up, this is kind of a young player question from Tom Schuster. He wants to know what are the chances Dalen Hayes ends up starting by the end of the season? Uh, if Dalen Hayes is fully healthy, he has a good chance, doesn't he? And starter is relatively speaking, it's just you know rush end starter is different than Sub-package every game. Sub package starter, he will be if he's healthy. I think. Yeah, it's a twenty five snap. Yeah, uh, easily. Load. So I think if you just want to rephrase it as, is Dalen Hayes their most impactful pass rusher by the end of the season if he's healthy? I think yes. I don't I think there's any doubt. No. In the way Van Gorder talked, I mean, you know, Van Gorder was optimistic at the end of the spring. He spoke of him as as, as if if he's healthy, he's going to play a significant role for him. They absolutely. If you want to talk about the difference between winning eight or nine games and winning ten games, it's guys like Dalen Hayes yeah, being yeah. having the impact on a pass. That's the way I look at it. And Pete's injuries, the shoulder, you know, the, it, it's back. The shoulder thing keeps yeah. coming back. But look, he can be, he doesn't have to be an every down guy either. So if he is 100%, if it's just unlikely, like it's not going to be, he's not going to get hit 60 snaps a game no matter what. Yeah, Dalen Hayes isn't playing 60 not, snaps whether he starts or not. He's not in there on third and two. Right, that right. So it would have, if he's healthy, then you can hope he could stay healthy because the wear and tear won't be there as much as it would be. He's not Isaac Rochelle playing, yeah. what was it, 87 snaps in an 85-snap game <laughs> last year. <laughs> you know, and a corollary to that, if you remember it, at, at one point during the Blue Gold game, in a pass rush situation, they moved um, – um, I'm drawing a blank here. Tillery moved. Tillery, oh, Rochelle moved inside. Tillery moved yeah. outside in a pass rush situation in a blue goal game. I don't know uh, whether you know that's a pattern or not. I find it likable. That's some, you what? I find it likable. Learnable. Yeah. <laughs> likable and learnable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, I almost think that Rochelle's a better pass rusher when he's inside because you don't have a a natural pass blocking guy on him. So maybe that maybe that's part of it as well. But no doubt, Hayes, Dalen Hayes yeah. healthy, he's on the field in pass rush yes. situations. No question. All right, well, that's it for segment two on Irish Illustrated Insider. We'll talk a little bit of recruiting next. Segment three of Irish Illustrated Insider, as usual, is our recruiting news. And Pete, since... Since the last time we got together here, you know, we're always we're always looking for viable quality defensive end candidates and 
An old name is is a new name. I don't know how good Notre Dame's chances are, but at least they're back in the running for Robert Beal. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, this is a, a borderline five-star defensive end out of Georgia. He's committed to Notre Dame earlier this year, backed off when his sister wasn't going to be able to get into school. Now that's no longer a stumbling block. However, Notre Dame is definitely not back in the lead here. Uh, they've got a lot of work to do. They're sort of in the second second group, um, you know, tier two. But there's a good chance he ends up at the Irish Invasion this summer, and they have a chance to climb back into Tier 1, and it would should not be difficult for him to look at Notre Dame's depth chart and be like, oh, I can come in and play right away, because Notre Dame just doesn't have prospects like this guy on the roster right now. Not enough of them, at least. If if all things are equal again with his recruiting, and he picked Notre Dame in the first place, and, and his sister's uh, admission is not an issue... Why aren't they in the lead pack? Or do you expect them to get in the lead pack over time? You know, I wouldn't say I have any expectations after how the recruitment played out um, with the, the sister. And I mean, when he had committed to Notre Dame, he was setting visits for other schools soon after. So it was a um, so soft commitment anyway. Yeah. Um, so it's not like most, well, pretty much everyone in the last class who committed and didn't take another visit elsewhere. Robert Beal wasn't going to be one of those guys, so... This is what happens with national defensive ends. Everybody wants them. There aren't enough of them. Um, so they hold all the cards in recruiting. and They can do what they want. Um, and I think Notre Dame just has to sort of deal with that. But it's better to have a chance to deal with it than have the kid not return your calls. Uh, and Notre Dame at least is going to have a chance to deal with it. What would it look like to have Dalen Hayes at one defensive end and Robert Beal at another? And I'm not sure that they're – they probably played the same rush end position. I'm not sure that – do you, they, watch, they would you, you watch SEC games, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, 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 it was in my it was in my Thursday thoughts. I, I just I was thinking, man, that would look good with those it would, two guys. It would look different yeah. if that's a word. It yeah. would look different. It would definitely look different. Yeah, it would definitely change the dynamics of that position. And like Notre Dame is, there's you know some schools are just desperate to get one guy in. Um, some schools can you know get a little bit of depth, and there's Alabama on top of that, who's not playing number one overall prospects because they have to wait to your yeah. junior year to play there. Um, Notre Dame is in the we can promise you early playing time group, uh, and they need to play that card, and they should. But um, there are a lot of SEC schools involved with Beal. Alabama's a cool place to go for defensive line prospects right now, even though they fired their defensive line coach. Uh, I don't expect that to change, so you're kind of you're fighting an uphill battle there. You're kind of going against the trend because Notre like. As good as Notre Dame is with offensive linemen and tight ends, the opposite is true with defensive ends. It's just not a place to be. You know, when you can do what – I mean, when you see a great defensive end, a, a guy that just swallows space with each with each stride, that's what Robert Beal is. I mean, he is a – he's a turf swallower, and, and a, you know, you can't teach that yeah, per yeah. se. You can't develop that. Yeah, you can't develop that. that that's got to be a, a, a skill that God gave him. And then you hone it, of course, but – yeah, difference maker. Yeah. What else is happening yep. in recruiting, Pete? Uh, if you if you follow the mail, uh, Notre Dame sent out the pot of gold <laughs> this year early because usually this was sort of around signing day, January time. Um, they went with trading cards this year. They had lotto tickets last year. I mean, really, the it's just to get a little bit of buzz on social media. They're successful in that. It's like it's something that you do in recruiting that people notice, and it's it's hard to do something in recruiting that's legal that people notice. <laughs> um, so it is. So while on the one hand it's male, um, on the other hand you're just trying to get a li- just any kind of buzz, any kind of just something where people are recruits are talking about it on social media or retweeting it. At a minimum, they got that done. 
What do you think about that? Too? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I want to get to her I, favorite I, recruiting stories. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, guess I find it a little comical that sure. adults get. But all we don't have to. We don't. Have, you know what? The best thing I heard, I've heard about this in the last couple of years is it doesn't matter if we like it. They like it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All that matters. Absolutely. The Shamrock yeah. series of right. uh, jerseys of recruiting me. Exactly. That's yep. basically what it is. <laughs> you know, some new offers go out, um, but there have been some camps that have been a little bit more interesting. Jalen Kelly Powell, we've seen him a couple times, safety out of Detroit. Uh, Ambry Thomas is a guy you need to know if you don't already. Um, that's a corner that what I'm hearing is that Notre Dame is actually in a really, really strong position. He's also from sort of that Michigan group there. Um, could be somebody that uh, may fall Notre Dame's way down the road. Uh, other recruiting, Troy Pride Jr., uh, incoming cornerback. He won four state championships in track over the weekend. Yeah, that that's, was good. That's pretty good. We already um, had we already had real high hopes and positive thoughts about yeah, the kid. Yeah. That just adds to it. Yeah. So sprinting, um, you know, so it was a pure speed type stuff. So that is very encouraging to watch. Uh, and then let's wrap up on this. We got a question that we bumped to segment three because it's recruiting. What are some of the best? This is from Helmet Six Two Two. What are some of the best and worst stories you guys? have heard from the recruiting would, world wouldn't would demetrius robertson would <laughs> probably I mean, move to there, the head of the yeah. class or in there yeah i mean you got um you got the Devonte neal commitment ceremony fiasco where you had the elementary school kids that's, playing the xylophone during a live webcast and then he doesn't show up that would be high on there um pretty much anything that happened with chris martin uh, yeah, if you remember him that was just completely insane uh, for me personally because uh, my son's third birthday is tomorrow. When Alex Bars committed while my wife was in the delivering room and Joe Bars was texting me to call Alex. No! Just, just, no, I'm not doing this. Um, that was fun. I had Tate Nichols commit during a baby shower for my daughter. Um Grant Blankenship committed during my anniversary dinner. So far, I, these last two have been really worth yeah, it. Um, yeah, recru- recruiting happens at some really inopportune times. Um, and I'm, I'm amazed how vivid my recollection are. Like, I remember when Aaron Lynch decommitted, I was at brunch in Chicago. I remember, like, it was at Orange, it was on Lincoln Avenue in Roscoe Village. It was great. And you then my phone book, home, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like that just stuff happens all the time in recruiting. Um, but yeah, there's. It just, it never ceases to amaze me about how strange, good or bad, it gets. Um, and I think, look, this is like 10% of it, because 90% of it is it's just stuff that had, you know, it a kid that commits slowly. that you think is going to commit, right. and he commits at a reasonable time. It's probably even a higher percentage. <laughs> not on, yeah. not on uh, Christmas Eve what at about, 6 p.m.? Yeah, Troy Pride Jr., for example. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what about, uh, uh, I mean, the... the uh, one of the interesting ones for me is Bob Diaco's camping out in, oh, in front of Shaq Williams. Shaq Williams. Yeah. And, and suddenly Bob Diaco became a quality recruiter, which he isn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> or he wasn't. A yeah, he's that just one. an early riser. Right. All yeah. he, all, he was just um, diligent. Yeah. That's all. You had the uh, Stefan Tuitt turn the plane around uh, happened. When he one. decommitted from Georgia Tech, Brian Kelly was going somewhere oh, else. Yeah, yeah. He decommits. They turn it around. Go see him, get him to flip back to Notre Dame. I mean, the Manti Teo uh, commitment thing was was pretty amazing because um, Notre Dame doesn't really get a whole lot of right. that 
sort of nuts bananas national signing day type what of about stuff. I, I just thought Lorenzo Booker wasn't that a complete shock that he yeah uh, that was uh, a surprise and we don't yeah, get he many was going surprises to pick, these right days. he was gonna pick Notre Dame and he picked up the Florida State hat yeah. right didn't he I mean, knock off the Notre Dame hat wasn't that the offensive part did he oh did he he, I, I, don't, I don't recall that exactly but uh you know going back to Demetrius Robertson and the sending of the uh the semi truck yeah, you know, which may have started a trend in Notre Dame that there's no turning back from that. Now I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I they could maybe not send the truck next year. That's one way to turn back. But <laughs> I have three until Jack Freeman yeah. cuts me off, and, and yeah. there's a statute of limitations, and one yeah. name will remain. Go uh, for it, man. All yeah. right, so it involves three different ones involving Magic Johnson, Steve Spurrier, and a player we can't say by name. Pretty good, huh? Okay. All right, number one, quickly. You know, Magic was staying at the Morris Inn when Digger was recruiting him, and he racked up like. $400 worth of long-distance phone bills. And so Magic just went to Digger on the way out. I was like, hey, you need to pay my long-distance tab. <laughs> Digger's like, no, I don't. You're, I'm yeah. not paying your long-distance tab. Which, good for Digger, number one. Number two, kind of wish he paid long-distance yeah, tab yeah. at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that, that ended the Magic Johnson recruitment right there. Uh, actually, I'm going to throw in one more basketball one. Uh, Ron Artest, all he wanted to do on his visit was play basketball with Pat Garrity. So he just played basketball. The entire time, and he told Garrity, "I don't want to go to any parties. I'm not coming to Notre Dame, but let's go play ball." And they sat there and just played basketball for the entire visit. So he said, "He said our test. He said our test was a very normal guy at that point." Just, mm. Now, good friend of mine went to Florida State. Steve Gilmer. He actually started. Is this is the one that you can't mention. By no, now? I can. Oh. This is the names. These are fine. He went to Florida State. Steve Gilmer, and uh, he took. He was a Tallahassee guy, highly recruited. He started as a redshirt freshman at Florida State in '91. At safety. Okay. So, good. good player. He was probably not going to go to Florida, but he's on a visit to Florida, and he didn't see Spurrier for the entire visit. Goes in to see, like, the coach for the first time, but he's got to leave, got to go back to Tallahassee. Spurrier is sitting in his chair, and Gilmer comes in and sits down. He's, like, a nice kid, just, you know, like, kind of real respectful. Spurrier puts his feet up on the table, and all he said to him for the entire visit was, So, you coming? <laughs> he realized at that point... Maybe Spurrier wasn't recruiting him that hard. Yes. He decided to go to Florida State, but it worked out for him. <laughs> oh my goodness. But my favorite, and this is where the names have to stay yeah. out, we'll just remove arrows completely. Yeah. One very good Notre Dame player told me this story. Former player. Pro. One of Jack Freeman's favorites, by the way. So they had, it was at a party, and there was, he wasn't the host, but some players brought a prospect to the party. Mm-hmm. So the party happened to be raided by excise that day. So a lot of people were arrested and caught. No players were. But one athlete was, and I don't want to paint the wrong picture here, was like in a hot tub with a bunch of people drinking, just mm-hmm. kind of having beers. So when he, I guess, I almost said his name, when somebody went upstairs and said, we got to get out of here, he jumped out of the hot tub off the second floor balcony, <laughs> landed on the grass, sprinted, Hurled a six-foot fence by jumping and putting one foot on it and leaping over the fence, and sprinted like the remaining six blocks back to this player's house to wait for him. And he said, "That's when I knew that guy was going to be a good player." Yeah, four star. <laughs> yeah. That's, what I That's a great story. And for Louisville basketball recruiting yeah. stories, yes. yeah. right. different family podcast. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, that's it for Irish Illustrated Insider. Hope you enjoyed our uh, walk down recruiting memory lane here. Uh, I'm Pete Sampson, Tim Priest of Tim O'Malley. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a couple weeks.